Hello again. Welcome to this Human Life Podcast. I am Melissa Sanova, and uh, this is a companion podcast to the book This Human. And we have been progressively reading through the book, dropping these episodes every week. And I'm really excited. Excited? I'm not sure if excited is the right word. I feel really grateful to be sitting here with you at this time, um, reading to you about things that pertain to the heart, about heartfelt connection, about uh, this chapter we're going to be talking about being in service. And, you know, the intention is that these podcasts are timeless and people can read them, uh, read them, listen to them whenever and to be used as a companion uh, to the book, whether you have the book or not. But I'm really grateful to be reading this content with at the moment because of what's happening in the world. Today is the 11th of November in 2020. And uh, we had quite a roller coaster week globally because the American presidential elections are almost complete. And of course, for those of you in the future who are listening to this, <laughs> it was the Trump versus Biden election. And on Sunday morning, Australia time, it looked clear that Biden was going to be the next president of the United States. And although hasn't been officially called. I don't know what that looks like officially, all the networks have called it, but I realized how much of an impact the last four years has had on me personally. I'm living in Australia, so not an American or living in the States. I have lots of very dear friends who call America home and are American citizens, but thinking that I was doing a really good job of staying out of the hysteria that surrounded Trump and his presidency and trying to put my attention towards other things that I thought were more directly related to what the world needed at the time, trying not to participate in the, the, just the negativity around everything. And I think, well, I felt like I did a really good job actually And then on Sunday when I saw what happened with Pennsylvania and listened to Kamala Harris speak and then Joe Biden speak after her, I was really emotional. It was really, it was such a mix of feeling, combination of relief and sadness and frustration and happiness and elation and confusion and yeah, it was just a real complete mix of feelings and what I realized was at stake for me personally and I'm just talking for myself because that's really the only person that I'm (laughs) deeply qualified to speak on behalf and the thing that was at risk for me was a, a fundamental belief you know we talk a lot about beliefs and biases on this podcast and the belief that was at risk for me is is one that I have built my worldview on. It's like the fundamental, the fundamental belief that everything else in the world, the, the way that I perceive the world anyway, is built on. And that is that I believe that humans are inherently 
good, inherently decent. And if you were to strip away external impacts on people, be it the circumstances that they're born into or the overculture that's present at the moment or the, you know, governing systems that direct our behavior and control our expression. If you strip all of that away and have us be in a safe, natural environment that I think, I believe that humans are good and decent and respond well to dignity and respect. And I feel like what was at risk for me personally during this time was that that belief was was really tested depending on how this election went. And, you know, those of you who tune in and listen to me know that I'm a, a deep thinker and I, you know, feel deeply and I live uh, my life fully self-expressed as much as I possibly can. And sometimes, you know, that feels like i am got the volume knob up to 11 in terms of my sensitivities and my feelings and my heart is way open and my senses are on, on, on. And uh, I was just so relieved to see two people speaking about restoring the soul back to the United States and bringing back dignity and respect and consideration for all people. And I personally really needed to hear that. I really needed to hear that. And so you can probably tell by the tone of this podcast, I'm still in that feeling, whatever that feeling is. But uh, I'm just really grateful that what I have to read to you is all about heart and human connection and being in service of others because it feels cathartic and healing for me at least to do so so bit of a monologue there not like Stephen Colbert's monologue but one nonetheless <laughs> thank you for tuning in we are reading through chapter four uh, the page number is at one one four hundred and fourteen and we start off with a quote from Rollo May. Human freedom involves our capacity to pause between the stimulus and the response and in that pause to choose the one response toward which we wish to throw our weight. The capacity to create ourselves based upon this freedom is inseparable from consciousness or self-awareness. Rollo May. And, you know, we speak a lot about human freedom and what that means. And I feel like this quote really captures that for me. And it's that pause between stimulus and response. So it's that pause between the comment that's just made and the response that you choose to make or not make in response to that. And it's in that gap. And I always have said that it's in the gaps where it's where the magic lies and it's in that gap where you you choose to be a certain way and it's that choice that we have that for me is a really important attribute of being human that we have we're not 100% instinctual beings that we can engage higher order processing to be able to direct our behavior and in so doing to create our lives okay page 116 on the left-hand side, there's a sidebar. 
Being in service is genuinely caring about the context of others you work with, understanding the needs and desires of those you work and collaborate with, creating scenarios that improve the context of those who you work with. Now, obviously, it's not just about those people you work with. It's whoever or whoever you are interacting with in whatever context. Um, It is not. Being in service is not only caring about their context and ignoring your own, foregoing your needs to deliver on theirs, making things more difficult for yourself while improving conditions for others. So obviously I said a whole lot there, but in the context of this book, which is around supporting those who have chosen to be human-centered leaders and human-centered designers, one of the things that we are at risk of when we are other-oriented, like lots of people who self-select into this line of work are, is that we lose the balance between our the boundaries that we may have in terms of you know our values and morals and, and ethics and become solely focused on delivering to the needs and designs of the people that we're there to design for or lead. And, you know, in a very sort of pragmatic way, this might look like, you know, human-centered designers are prioritizing or privileging the needs and experiences of, of customers or citizens that they're designing for over the needs of the people within the organization that they represent. And I often talk about human-centered design in two separate ways. I split the human centricity from the design. Uh, design is a is a really powerful framework for creative problem solving. It is beautifully suited to complexity and beautifully suited to conflicting perspectives and provides you with a creative way of resolving those conflicts and needs to create an end scenario. And the human centricity bit is the, your orientation of your thinking, the starting point and ending point of the motivation behind the work, which is to understand the human condition and to meaningfully and deliberately design for it. And I think we need to keep both of those things in balance and to remember that we're all people <laughs> and we need to find the balance between those tensions. All right. In service of others. Okay, I think I may have done it again where I tell a story and go deeper into the content and then I've written about it so it's like I'm repeating myself. (laughs) It keeps happening, but uh, bear with me. In service of others. I have seen human-centered designers work brilliantly with customers by being open, patient, observant and empathic. They genuinely try to understand their customers' needs, frustrations and delights and are able to apply their design skills to improve their customer's experience. And I have seen those same designers walk into a client meeting and not apply any of their... And I have seen those same designers walk into a client meeting and not apply any of these skills to that context. Everything you do as a human-centered designer should employ your skills in service of the people you are working with or for. To be very clear... I do not mean taking a subservient stance, nor does it mean letting go of what you need or are trying to achieve. It means being genuinely interested in understanding the context of the other person so you can design an approach together. This is where your creative problem-solving skills come in. 
To be powerfully in service of other people, you need to be powerfully connected with yourself, your work and the outcomes you are working toward. This can be challenging. It requires effort and creativity to find the pathway to making those outcomes a reality rather than opting for trade-offs. Walking into a business meeting does not mean that you cease to care about people. They are people too. You can apply everything you know about the human condition to improve how you can be in service of those you are meeting with. What are their concerns? What problems are they trying to solve? What is their desired outcome and how can you help them get there? What do you need from the meeting? How can you connect with them in a way that is empathic to their context and still achieve what you need? I think I just want to underline this point. Human-centered design isn't reserved for the people who need the design intervention or the design solution. Human-centered design is a is a mindset and approach that can be um, applied to you know the people that you work with, your contemporaries in your organization, your team members, you know your boss, the board. It is an orientation and a creative problem-solving framework that can be applied to any situation where humans are present. <laughs> okay, massive quote on the right-hand side of the page: "Be a person, not your role." Anyone who's worked with me or collaborated with me in the past would have heard me say that at least a a dozen times what I'm trying to get at there is one of the things that I've seen happen in organizations is that we get so overwhelmed by the you know the office a person's hold a the the role that they represent in the organizational hierarchy or in, in society or whatever and it's almost like we treat them as the role and not the person and vice versa the person shows up as that role you know, they show up as the chief financial officer as opposed to, you know, Jill. And when we're working in the context of human-centered design and we're collaborating and we're all working towards a shared outcome, one of the most powerful catalysts to be able to work in the way that human-centered design calls us to is by remembering that we're all people and to bring that humanity into the room as opposed to the pressures and requirements of our roles because the context will always make sure that those things are present okay exercise 4.2 is on page 118 preparing to create and build human connections Here are some simple questions to ask before you design a workshop or any engagement to ensure you continue to build connection between you, your work, and the people involved with your work. Question one, who is going to be there? This can be harder than it sounds. I'm sure you've been in a situation where you've planned a workshop for 10 people, but 10 more turn up at the last minute. This happened and we still talk about it when we were working with a large organization in here in Australia. And we were organizing for, you know, a group of 20 people. And then it's almost like the invitation went viral within the organization. (laughs) And we had all these people dialing just on the, on the teleconference service. So we just heard, kept hearing hearing the, the beep bong, beep bong, beep bong noise. So it was really funny. This works in two directions, knowing who you actually need in the workshop and being really clear about that and knowing who is actually going to be present. Knowing this 
allows you to answer the rest of the questions. Without it, you'll have unnecessary challenges to work with. Question two, what is their context? Clients often have many other things on their plate in addition to your project. Obviously, this is also true within an organizational context. So if you're an in-house design team or customer experience team, the people that you are designing for or with are essentially your clients as well, your internal clients. Understanding their situation helps you design a workshop that is empathic to their context. Often we design the workshop from our perspective. What information do we need? And what is the best way to get it? This is not good enough. We need to design for a human-centered perspective. See what I did there? Everything we do needs to be human-centered. For example, if your client is in the middle of a restructure and has to reapply for their job, they might not be in the mood to participate in a new technique requiring improvisation and acting as a way to explore desired experiences in their current roles. A more considerate approach would be appropriate. So this is the whole, where the whole empathy bit plays into it. Even in the decisions that you make about the the tools that you're going to use and the methodology and approach that's appropriate, we need to be able to connect to their reality and not just be designing from our reality as the designers. You know, what is it that we need to get out of this workshop and what techniques are we comfortable with or that we want to try out? It's also about meeting the people that you're going to be working with where they are. And this takes a little bit of prep. Question three, where are they listening from? The framework of listening channels discussed in chapter three is a good tool to help you understand how other people are listening. But this question is about a more general listening. Are they a supporter of this way of working or not? Are they happy with the project or not? Do they believe that you are helping them or hindering them? Every interaction you have with someone can build and strengthen a connection or weaken it. Being considered and mindful in every interaction helps you create the right conditions to foster connections. Question four, what are their concerns and objectives? You have a job to do and you need to get information and insight from your work, but you should also have an awareness of other people's concerns and objectives. This will help you work out how your workshop can help them achieve those things as well. This attention to their concerns and objectives, whether they are directly related to your work or not, will demonstrate that you are a genuine, helpful person without compromising the quality of your own work. The final question, question five, what is their comfort level? Some people will be very comfortable with the methods and tools involved in human-centered design and others won't be. Knowing their comfort level will help you design an interaction that they are comfortable with while still introducing a new way of working. Don't feel that you need to completely alter your way of working to make your collaborations or clients feel comfortable. Part of the reason you are there is to introduce new thinking and new ways of working. However, you do need to know how far to stretch the rubber band. If you go too far, it will snap and you will lose them. Once you've lost a connection, it's really hard work to get it back. It's possible, but it's hard. It's better to do everything you can to avoid losing it in the first place. So this comfort level one is really important. And since doing this, uh, writing this book, I've been researching uh, flow states and creativity in flow states. And one of the things that's important to be able to drop into a flow state is the um, nature of the task. So the nature of the task needs to have your, you know, draw your focus, but it can't be something that's too difficult. 
Otherwise you tend to get distracted. So there's this definition, which is called your confidence zone. So there's a comfort zone and then there's a confidence zone. So the confidence zone is actually outside of your comfort zone, but you still have confidence in your ability to see the task through or participate. And that's a good metaphor or analogy to use when thinking about comfort levels um, of the participants in the workshop that you're designing. That if you just design something that kept everyone comfortable, then perhaps they're not learning anything. So designing for their confidence zone is actually a really good way to think about it. And that way it helps you balance the readiness for this way of working and also the need to be able to introduce new ways of thinking and being into the organization. Okay, I will stop there. We're on page 119. I, uh, I'm really grateful to this community of people who found my book and who are doing the courses over at thishuman.com and those of you who've reached out to work with me personally, one-on-one in coaching. If you want any information about that and you want to check out what's on offer for This Human, you can go to thishuman.com. All the links will be in the show notes and if you want to Uh, reach out to me and explore working with me directly you can always go head over to melissanova.com you'll find a free masterclass there for my deep leadership program so you can check that out and let me know thanks for listening and uh, I'll, uh, i'll be with you next episode cheers